Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Roberts, the founder of the Free Methodist Church, and you're listening to episode 73 of FMC Radio on September 17th, 2018. Oh, and I'm also Josh Avery now. BT had to go somewhere else, um, but welcome to the show, and uh, hey, um, we have a lot going on, so I want to try to get through uh, some, some news segments and some different things that are happening. Um, real quick here, um, so we can get on to a great interview that we have for you as well today. So the top news story today, as far as exciting news goes, uh, General Conference 2019 is coming next summer, and I've been asking for people to help sponsor a booth at G- General Conference, and we have raised enough money. We have raised the money for a booth. I have booked a booth down there for this podcast. And what that means is that we're going to have something set up. We're going to let other people know about the podcast who have never heard of it before. But we're also, as it gets closer, stay tuned to uh, to, to hear on um, listening to the podcast and, and you know on the Facebook page and Twitter because I'm going to be having some some events happening at that booth. It's going to be some exciting stuff. I don't know what it all is yet. I'm, I'm still going through it. But we're going to have some things going on, some meetups and some other things going on at General Conference that will be exciting. Um, so thank you to everyone, especially uh, this week. Our last uh, and our final donor gave giving the $80 of Mike Morris, Morrissey, I hope I said your name right, Morrissey, uh, Mike Morrissey. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, and I hope to see you at General Conference next year, uh, meet up with you sometime. So um, that is exciting news, and we have some other exciting news, um, uh, but we want to be continued in prayer. Uh, now, I put out a message about Phyllis Sorter um, this past week here on the podcast, and I've been updating with little updates that we've had over on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fmcradio. Um, but we've been talking about Phyllis Sorter and um, the problems that she's been having. And so uh, she was essentially, it sounds to me as if from, from the things we were reading, she was unresponsive, she was in the hospital, she seemed to be in a coma um, is what it, was what it sounded like. Uh, she has malaria and typhoid fever. These things were very, very serious. Now, I did say there is good news. Um, She did wake up the other day, and I'm just going to read to you um, the latest update uh, on her here that that I've come across on Facebook, Um, and this is coming uh, from Shane, her grandson. So Shane, her grandson, reports that lab reports show she is continuing to improve. If you know Phyllis very well, you won't be surprised to hear that she's itching to get up, check out, and go back to work. However, Phyllis must give her body time to heal or she'll be right back in the hospital. So the way we can pray is pray for relief from bad headaches, which cannot be treated from traditional medicine, um, from traditional headache medicines due to the condition of her liver and her kidneys. 
And um, uh, a uh, missionary who was working with her as well in Kenya says, we are praying specifically that she'll allow time to heal, that she'll honor all that Shane has done for her, not rush the healing time. I know it's hard for her to be in this position or situation, but I'm praying she'll see the value of letting her body recover fully. Now, of course, uh, this is this is true with anybody who's doing great work in the world. I mean, we just talked to Phyllis, what, a, a month ago or so here on the show. We heard all the great things that she's doing. She's excited. She's excited about what she does. Um, and she's excited to be out there. Um, and so she's excited to get back out. She's excited to get out of that hospital. And it, it makes sense uh, that she wants to jump right out of bed. Hey, I'm feeling better. I want to jump up, but she needs to recover. So um, I'm sure she, she understands that, you know, and she realizes as much as she wants to go, it would put her in a bad position to leave. So we just uh, thank God for her recovery. And we want to continue to uh, pray for her as she, um, we don't know exactly how long she's going to need um, this specialized care in this hospital. So um, we want to pray that God will give her the patience and really just fill in um, all of the all of the spaces, you know, that are that are um, being that she usually would fill. Um, in other words, uh, just that that she would see that everything's taken care of. So we want to be praying for that. Um, so that, those are some things, and, and in, the, in the same way, uh, as far as prayer goes, we want to uh, bring up, today uh, is September 17th, as I said, and in our Free Methodist World Missions Prayer Guide on Monday the 17th, it gives us a direction to pray for the Middle East. It says, praise the Lord and pray for house churches being planted in several new unnamed countries where believers are often in danger of persecution. And of course, um, these are similar countries to what we would call our uh, creative access countries. We don't say what those countries are. So we just say, okay, it's in the Middle East, um, some unnamed countries. We can't say these things because... Uh, there could be persecution. So we want to pray for them, even though we're not specifically talking about where they are. Um, so let's do that. Let's uh, pray for them and also fill us now. Dear God, we just uh, pray right now for these churches, these house churches that are being planted in the Middle East. We thank you for the work that is being done there. And um, we just uh, pray that you will uh, help these believers to continue to be stronger and um, that they're, they're, they would be able to reach out, even in the midst of the persecution, they'd be able to reach out to people um, in their communities and reach people for you. We also just pray for uh, Phyllis as well. Thank you for her recovery, as so many people have been recover, uh, praying for this, praying for her recovery. And uh, now that she's, she's feeling better, she's ready to jump back out there. But we pray that you would give her the patience uh, for this and um, that you would give her the patience that she needs um, for long-term success and not just the short-term recovery. Um, so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, a few other things that we have today. Um, that is, uh, announcement-wise, um, we do have the Embrace All Conference, as mentioned a few episodes ago. It's coming up um, very soon here. And if you uh, get your ticket by September 20th, you get this really cool uh, bag for free included um, from Seed. And so uh, be sure to look in the show notes for a link to register for the Embrace All Conference and get all the information on the breakout groups, all that sort of thing. Freedom Sunday is coming up very soon. In fact, next week we will be speaking 
once again to Kevin Austin about what's been going on with the set free movement within the last uh, week and within, I'm sorry, within the last year since we talked to him last. And there are a lot of things. A lot of things have changed. A lot of, a lot of new projects coming up. A lot of exciting stuff that I will let him speak about when, when you hear our interview next week. Um, but Freedom Sunday is coming up in a few weeks for all free Methodists and non-free Methodists alike. Uh, this is about moving in the direction of freedom. Uh, we celebrate as a nation Freedom Sunday on September 30th. Um, and there are all sorts of ways that you could get involved with Freedom Sunday. You can check the setfreemovement.com for more information on that. Um, and I did want to read this week, uh, just in closing of our intro here, a few comments that we had. Um, somebody uh, commented recently from one of the churches in the Pittsburgh Conference and uh, uh, on the bishop's retirement. And uh, we had a breaking news segment a few about a month ago on that. All three bishops are, um, I, and I shouldn't keep using the word retiring because we assume, I mean, we know with the stuff they're doing, it's kind of like Phyllis. They're not just going to sit back and retire. They're just not seeking re-election. So they're not going to be our bishops, but we, we know there's going to be great things coming from them somewhere in the world uh, into the future, whether that's books, whether that's, you know, videos, uh, whether that's speaking engagements, whatever that is. Um, but they are, you know, they are, are moving on. And so this, um, this uh, writer, this listener from, who wrote a comment from the Pittsburgh conference said, I knew that one was retiring, but all three, wow. They say, thankful and praying for those faithful servants, praying for the future bishops, Godspeed. And uh, thanks for your comment, Pittsburgh Conference, and I don't know your name, you didn't say on your comment, um, but uh, it's great to hear from you. And yes, we do want to be uh, thanking God in prayer for our three bishops. And uh, we want to be praying for those who even now are being prepared, don't even maybe know it's going to be them, uh, but if they're being prepared for next year, they're going to be bishops, and we, pr we pray for them as well. Um, I also had a, another comment regarding Phyllis Sorter, and uh, this person, Stacy Banks, says, She is an amazing woman. I had the privilege to meet her this summer. Prayers for her, her family and friends, and her care team. We had so many different responses last week, uh, some just short short comments saying prayers are going out for her family. Others, longer comments, just like this one, uh, for many who had the chance when she was in the United States traveling from hearing from Phyllis, um, just praying for her and thanking her for her work. Um, and, and hopefully, Phyllis, you're able to hear this and you're able to um, get the message that there are so many people. I mean, she already knows this, that there's so many people praying, but there's so many people appreciative of, of what she's done. And we've definitely seen that uh, this past week in the comments coming back uh, from that episode. And if you'd like to leave a comment for the show, you can do that in, in many different ways. One of the easiest ways is to go to facebook.com slash fmcradio and just comment there um, on the page. Also, we're on Twitter at fmcradioshow. You can uh, add us there and talk to us on, on, on Twitter. Um, also, you can email josh at befreemc.org or we actually have a show voicemail, and people haven't used that in a little while, but it's a great way to connect with the show, to call in, and nobody ever answers that line. You will get a voicemail line, um, but we can play your voice on an upcoming episode. The number to call is 914-FMC-USA-1. So again, that's 914-FMC-USA-1. You call in, you just leave a message, maybe similar to the comments that I've just read, and you say, hey, I was just listening to this episode, and I thought this, or I had this question, or I wanted to comment on such and such. Um, it would be great to hear from you, and, and not just hear your comments, but also hear your voice uh, through the voicemail. Um, and one last thing, if I, if I can, um, if you are listening through iTunes, if you're listening through an Apple podcasting app, and you're familiar with how to do it. I don't want you to break your back to 
do this, but if you could consider leaving a review, um, and I know uh, there are many who have already. They've lived, Every single person that's left a review for the show has left a five-star review, um, and uh, there were three individuals especially who actually wrote a review about the show, you know, a paragraph or whatever, just saying what they liked about it, in addition to clicking on the stars. So if you have a, a couple extra minutes, if you would, uh, rate it, rate the podcast on whatever podcast, um, you, you know, you use, whatever podcast app you use, um, but also that you might uh, maybe consider leaving a written review as well, because when people are looking for something to listen to, they're going to look at those reviews and they're going to see, okay, is this something worth my time? Um, and the more of those types of reviews, the more possible that people will see it when they're searching and those types of things. So... Anyways, that's a, I know a lot going on and a lot to uh, think about and a lot to remember, but uh, I, I want to take our break now. And as we head into our break, I should say this. The music that you're going to hear is actually written and completely put together by the guy that we're going to be speaking to in a moment in our interview. So that's kind of an exciting thing. You're going to hear his music not only here at the break, but also to close out the show today. So uh, we will be right back. To make the oceans and put the mountains in their place And every element perfected in phenomenon just proves your name Sometimes I'm wondering just how it must feel To watch our youthful generation fall asleep in desperation and then lose communication with the one who made it then we run out of our rations and gave us hope to find our passions so to you we come a thrashing asking you to save it and when everything is better we just hope for more good weather think we've got it put together everything's fine it's fine I want to fall into your arms When everything is wonderful I want to be there where you are I sing to praise you just because You're everything wonderful well, today um, we are going to be speaking with Jamin Bradley, and he is a pastor in Michigan, uh, which normally, you know, from Ohio, we're not really supposed to speak to people in Michigan, but today we figured we'd make an exception. Um, and for those of you who live maybe out in California or something, and you're like, going, why wouldn't they speak to people in Michigan? Of course, there's the big rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan in terms of college football. So that's that's the joke there. Um, so are you are you a big Michigan fan, Jamin? Oh, you know, I've never really gotten into sports in general. I just tried fantasy football with my friend, but a computer program pretty much selected everything for me because I didn't know how to do it, so. <laughs> Okay, so I guess we're allowed to talk then. That's fine. <laughs> Good. Well, hey, I want so I uh, know a little bit about you, but not a whole lot because this is really actually the first time that we're talking as far as 
over the phone and everything and it's a so it's good for me to be learning a lot of these things for the first time and what I like to ask people when I when I first talk to them as far as those who are involved in the church and stuff is um, just a little bit about personally your story and uh, then also of course how you came into the Free Methodist Church and and a little bit into where you're at now yeah, so uh, I'm a third-generation Free Methodist pastor. My grandpa was a Free Methodist pastor. My dad was a Free Methodist pastor. And uh, though I tried other things, I ended up being a Free Methodist pastor. So um, I, uh, I, uh, when I was younger, when I was a kid, I, I wanted to be a pastor just like my dad. Then I met music later on in life. I was like, maybe I'll be a worship leader instead and or go and write, write some music and Eventually in college, I kind of had this uh, charismatic renewal of sorts where I really came to get to know the Holy Spirit uh, in a way that I never had before. And I was like, man, I would just love to uh, pastor and and teach this uh, topic especially and uh, especially help those who maybe grew up like me and didn't know much about the Holy Spirit and, and help them at a younger age than myself to kind of grow in that capacity. So out of that conviction and out of always kind of sensing that uh, I was going to pastor, I uh, uh, jumped into ministry, uh, which I had always been in throughout my whole life. And when I graduated, I ended up at the church I'm now at and uh, been there now for uh, seven years. Seven years. Okay, awesome. And so that church is where in Michigan? It's in Jackson, Michigan, kind of an urban downtown area. It's uh, called 1208 Greenwood. It was kind of a combination of some house churches in the area and uh, uh, a Hispanic church at the time, and the two came together. We couldn't think of a name for it at the time, so we just called ourselves the address, and, well, that's mm-hmm. dicked. So <laughs> 1208 Greenwood, it's not like a Bible verse, 1208 anything. It's, okay. It's just the, uh, it's the address, and it's also the name. Yeah, twelve. So 1208 Greenwood, of course, I mean, there's a few different things about that. I mean, it, like you say, some people who have been in the church for a long time, you know, start to associate that 1208, is that, you know, is that a verse? Uh, but it isn't. But it, I think to anybody who hears it, it's it's obviously, you know, different than hearing like, oh, the first free Methodist church of so-and-so. I mean, not that there's anything necessarily wrong with that. You know, there's many churches that are that. Um, but it, but it, it doesn't really raise any eyebrows or anybody look second, you know, at it, like to say, well, what, what is that, you know? Um, but the 1208 Greenwood is not only just, it, it makes it a very easy way to remember where you're located um, because it's in the name. Um, but it's also just something that I think people look at and they're going to go, okay, well, you know, what is this about? What's going on? Um, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, likewise, it's, uh, it's a good reminder to us, too, like, the church is not a building, it's just the address we meet in for the church to be the church, so just another kind of reason behind uh, a name choice there, or at least a meaning that's been implemented into it over time. Yeah, and, and you spoke about being there for since you graduated and for several years now, but from what I've seen online and from the website and things, it sounds as if there's some new stuff going on here um at the church and um so was the name change more recent to 1208 greenwood or was it always that name uh we've always been called 1208 greenwood but we just revamped ourselves to uh a new mode of ministry which is uh a kind of a mixture of some of the stuff we were doing and then the dinner church model that was started out in seattle that uh 
some some churches in our conference have been playing around with. So it's kind of like a adapted mixture of ourselves with uh, a new model that we just launched this past Sunday. Yeah. So for those who have never heard of this idea of a of dinner church, what what does this look like on a on a, any given uh, Sunday? Yeah, so the Dinner Church model out of Seattle, and there's quite a few books out there by Berlin Fosner who really kind of kicked it off. Um, it's really just people come together, they eat a meal. It's actually similar to you know the way Jesus did ministry and the way that the early church uh, did church to some extent. People would just get together, eat, and hang out, and uh, they would play instrumental worship music in the background. A band would play some live music like that. They were uh, available to pray for people in whatever capacity that they wanted, and they found that uh, they could fit in like a little devotional here and there. So it wasn't it, it wasn't church like uh, a lot of the ways that we think of church, but rather like a gathering of people each week trying to kind of bring people a little closer to Jesus. And a lot of people would come in early on and be like, ah, I'll come for the food and then I'm out of here. But sure. over time, they'd build relationships and uh, they would start to really enjoy the, the company and stick around for the message and then start getting saved and, and go on from there. So what what we've done to adapt it, because we found, I think this is true for any church, anytime that we've just like adapted a, a model exactly as it is, we always find like, hmm, this didn't work because we're not the same church that, that created it. We're different in so many regards. So... We, uh, for ourselves, we open doors at 4.30. We wanted just space. It's optional space for people to come early and just hang out as they get to know each other. At 5 o'clock, uh, we serve dinner, uh, and uh, we have real plates, real diningware, all that. We have a, a commercial cleaning space. Uh, we serve dinner, and then um, 5.40, there will be a little short devotional while tables are bust dessert is served uh, to people while they're sitting. And then there's a little more background music, and at 6 o'clock, if people are sticking around, I, or me or my associate, we preach a, about a 15-minute message followed by uh, worship music. And after that, uh, whenever things wrap up, at least by 7 o'clock, we, we adjourn. So hmm. it's like a two-and-a-half-hour experience altogether if people came from beginning to end, but we try to communicate, you know, come and go at your own convenience, and we hope to kind of earn your, your trust over time to stay for more. So that's kind of what it looks like for us. Yeah, so, so okay, so at the church, is this is this the... Uh, is this the service that happens, or is there one in the morning as well? That's, is this an additional event that happens, the dinner church? Uh, this is the only thing. Our final Sunday okay. service was about four weeks ago. Then we switched over to some demos of this, and then this week we did the official official launch. So we noticed in our own church, like, you know what? we When we started 12 Way Greenwood, we said we never wanted to be a Sunday morning church. Mm. but we've become a Sunday morning church. Everybody yeah. only seems to show up in mass on a Sunday, no matter what day of the week, what what time we choose for anything else, we all just struggle to get there. So if the only time we're going to be present is we know that as a community we can get here one time a week, mm-hmm. then we need to make that one time a week incorporate everything the church always needs to be doing. So. Mm-hmm. Let's make our Sunday service missional. If we don't have time to do a big event in the middle of the week, 
then let's make sure our service incorporates that. And so that became like a big kind of paradigm shift for us to not just go to church, but actually be the church. And that's uh, what our whole summer has been training us to be. Oh, that's great, and and that's uh, that really is the the question there for a lot of people is you know when they look around and they see the community there's there's a lot of need in every community um, and uh, these kind of ideas come up but as you're saying it's the resources and people's availability um, some people are not willing to make that historical change they say well we've always had it Sunday morning and it's always been. The songs and the you know this and then we have the sermon and then we go home and and some people don't want to change that and yet um, as as you're kind of just speaking to um, when we see the need and we say well wait a minute if if we have this dinner and then we have a, a little sermon after that and people are staying for it lives are being transformed hey that's much better than doing it the way we always did it Sunday morning everybody come in at the same time um, because really the the transformation is what is what uh, what it's all about, and and whether it's in new people coming to Christ for the first time, or that transformation of people who have come for years, and you know they're they're deepening their relationship with Him. Um, but uh, this is a great um, a great idea, a great way to to reach out to people, and not only that, but have that fellowship amongst those who have been there for a long time, sit around a table, um, and I think it's something that is really definitely missing. In, in the church today, um, I've heard, you know, many people talk about, you know, try to figure out big ways of how can we get people to come to our church? And so we'll think of a fun event and say, okay, we're going to do the big fall fun fest or something, which is just always fun. There's always a lot of, of people and a lot of uh, festivities and food and stuff. Um, but then you often look the next week and, you know, 99% of those people, they don't come back if, at a one-time event fun fest thing. Um, or a fun event. Uh, they were there for the free stuff and the fun thing, but it didn't really make that lasting impact, it seems, um, in a lot of churches. And so what, I, what I've found recently, both in reading books and, and doing some own research and just talking to different pastors, is a lot of them returning to this idea of gathering on a consistent basis around tables um, and sharing meals with people and seeing this as a um, not a one-time fun event type thing, but a long-term investing in relationships with people that's going to make the actual difference and, and ultimately even grow the churches. Um, is that what you guys have kind of seen and what you're what you're looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like, you know, so often we want like to just get people saved in a moment and then, uh, you know, whether that's out of, you know, really want to bring them to Jesus or adding to church statistics, wherever the case may be, mm -hmm. um, that's oftentimes like the easy way out. You get someone saved and then they may never come back. You may never disciple them. This one kind of forces you into their lives to say, uh, you know, I, I don't know you, but I hope you come and eat with me on a regular basis until I get to know you, until I can become your family. And just expecting like, it's going to be a long process to see them come to salvation, but slowly but surely um, God can God can work in that way and he's done that with like countless people that we we've known throughout history you know like Charles Schultz who wrote all the Charlie Brown comics he mm -hmm. he uh, he doesn't ever remember like running up to a uh, altar to get saved he just realized one day hey I'm a Christian you know yeah <laughs> well 
while going to church. Even C.S. Lewis was like, I don't know how it happened. I just remember I went to the zoo, and on the way to the zoo, when I got there, I realized I was a Christian. So it's often a slow process. It's not always that, like, in a moment someone said a prayer and it was all fixed. But yeah, this, this lends to uh, not just... Uh, Really, it lends to some wholeness, uh, recognizing we're not just trying to get them to say the Jesus Prayer and then we're out. Yeah. We're going to get involved in their life so that we've earned the right to speak into their life and show them who Jesus is. And when they receive Jesus, we still have like a greater ability to continue coaching them along. So it's a long process, but uh, uh, that's partially what Dinner Church is about. And it recognizes what Jesus did too. I mean, he ate with people all the time and you don't ever have like this Jesus ate with everyone. They all got saved. He just, uh, <laughs> he ate with them regardless of what the outcome was. And surely plenty of those people left dinner with them and ran out and did all kinds of stuff. And, uh, I'm sure they would be welcomed back to the table with them anyways. Out of his grace. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, t- um, tell us, uh, like, as far as your church location, we've talked a little bit about that, but but kind of the picture of, is it right in the middle of a neighborhood or is it out on its own? I mean, what is it, where is it located as far as that's concerned, like other houses and stuff? Yeah, so we're smack dab in the middle of uh, several neighborhoods. We're in an urban community and it's one of those urban communities where like you cross the road and you realize you're in a new territory. Uh-huh. Um, for example, at one point we went out to survey our surrounding neighborhood uh we sent one people across the road and uh we sent people like across the other road so we're just like blocks away and on one side we're like what would you wish was different about the neighborhood and on this nicer side everyone's like oh it could be quieter uh or nothing you know it's fine the way it is Mm -hmm. but on the other side of the road they're like less gunshots less overdoses less drugs so it changes drastically depending on where you are. I live two blocks from the church, so this is my community. Uh, we've had several people move right into this neighborhood. Um, but it's smack dab in the middle of four specific like socioeconomic. If you go one way, it's the homeless. If you go another way, it's impoverished. If you go another way, it's middle class. And if you go far enough down the other way, you eventually end up in like the mansions of Jackson. So okay, yeah. um, part of... The reason, again, to do dinner with everybody is food's a great equalizer, as Michael Frost says, and so it's a great way to just kind of, like, bring, regardless of your your socioeconomic standing, uh, racial differences, any of it, to just bring us all together and set the table for, for the equality of getting to know each other and loving one another. Yeah, so I, I think that's actually kind of a similar picture to the church that I'm at, um, especially the idea of, you know, our church is called Freedom Church Canfield, and um, I often, uh, explaining it to where it is to people, it's, you know, you go a block in one direction, it's Canfield, which is really, really nice homes, and a lot of rich people kind of live in Canfield, and then you go the other block away, and things start to get a little run down, and, you know, there are those shootings and, and types of things going on. Um, and so in those types of neighborhoods, like the idea of what we've been talking about, this idea of having this ongoing dinner at the church where, um, you know, maybe people are just walking right down the sidewalk next to the church and they're like, Hey, this is going on. They, they might come right in. Um, 
versus there are some churches that I've been to and a lot of people listening that may, may be from a church that you say, well, my, my church is out on the countryside, kind of out by itself and there's not any sidewalks, there's nobody around. I, I don't know if that would work. And so what, what I've actually found is really you got to kind of um, actually, as, as you were just saying, Jumping about this idea of surveying um, the neighborhood and whether that's literally going out and having a survey or surveying in the sense of just kind of taking each church as it is and going, okay, well, what's going on in our community? Where are we located? What's our community facing? Um, and if you don't have the opportunity or the space or whatever it is at your personally, at your local church to do this kind of an idea, the alternative, the very possible alternative, is to have it out of your own home. Um, and it's this ancient art of neighboring that we've kind of lost, this art of hospitality, um, that we like to go in and, you know, shut our garages and kind of say, well, this is my space and this is my, you know, my home and whatever. Um, but I re I've, I've heard recently, and I, I forget who it was, but I quote it all the time now, uh, somebody saying, well, how could we love our neighbors if we don't even know their name? Um, and many, many people have that experience. Maybe you know the person next door to you, but you don't know a lot of the people's even names or much about the people on your street. Um, and so what if we started to actually love our neighbors with our literal neighbors right next door? Um, and so that's another option too, is to have this, this inviting people into your home, um, something that has been lost, not really even just, just the church, uh, but all people, it sounds, it seems like, um, have kind of lost that idea of sitting down together, uh, around a table. I don't know why that is. Um, but it, that seems what it has been. <laughs> Yeah, and that requires intentionality like crazy just with our culture today because everything is so indoor for us. So. Yeah. Between the internet and TV and all that. I mean, I, I have a shared driveway. We bought our house. We share a driveway with our neighbors. And after five years, I'm just starting now to get to know them. Wow, yeah. Uh, likewise, our church went out and we were given light bulbs to the houses to try to brighten up the areas, keep it a little safer at night if everyone turned the porch lights on together. And I knocked on the house across the street from me and realized, like, uh, I serve on a board, drug-free Jackson here in, in Jackson, and the person who opens the door, I've watched them take their kids inside for, like, years now. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're on the same board together. You are my next-door neighbor, and I had no idea. <laughs> so, like... It's just amazing if we're not intentional about it, just how many people will miss. Uh, and when you do open up your house, people just love it. I mean, that's some of the most spiritual moments that we've had in our church, I think, are in just like our, our, our home groups where people just get together and even just play games and eat food. So Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, it's, it's exciting to hear about um, what you guys are doing there and definitely... Uh, um, as more churches are, it sounds like are catching on as you guys even are kind of seeing what another church did and um, you said Seattle and, and then you guys are catching on to that. I'm sure more who are listening to this are going to be thinking in, in their terms of their churches what they can do. Um, and I think it will be exciting to see uh, the outcome of people catching on to that idea of, okay, um, let's, let's get back to just having relationships with people, long-term type stuff instead of a short-term, fun time, um, you know, couple hours, once a year, annual event type 
type deal or you know um so so that's exciting i i also um in in looking at some of the stuff in the website i came across the fact that you've written several books i think it's what three books yep three books three books and one of them came out recently which i i don't have a copy of but i but i probably will very shortly because it caught my eye and i'm excited about it um it's called the rush and the rest and why well you tell me a little bit about it first about the, your most recent book yeah so uh kind of shared when we started like in college i kind of this charismatic renewal where i really got to understand the holy spirit better and see his uh work right in front of me so in the bible um at least you know in the old testament there's these stories of the holy spirit rushing upon people and resting upon people which in the English language, you know, is a bit of an antonym. We think of either I'm rushing around or I'm resting. But uh, in in uh, the Old Testament, whether the Holy Spirit rested upon you or rushed upon you, the the result was pretty much the same. There was this visible manifestation of Him in some way, uh, and so that's kind of what the uh, title behind the book is. It's it's a, a glimpse of the Holy Spirit in the supernatural world. Uh, as the Bible explains it. So I spent some time around supernaturally minded Christians like myself, uh, um, and I often found that people really uh, ran their supernatural Christianity based on experience, which is an easy way to kind of make God in your own image, because it's all based on the things that have happened to me and the things that God has done to me. Whereas I really uh, love um, reading the scriptures and seeing what it has to say about the Holy Spirit, about supernatural. So this book was like 10 years worth of studying uh, and explaining kind of like stories I've had, but really showing uh, hundreds of scriptures where the Bible opens up to show us a, a worldview that modern Westerners are uncomfortable with and uh, often water down into metaphor, whereas the Bible never was going that route. It's very painting a very vivid kind of spiritual world around us, and uh, understanding it changes the way that we live our lives, the things that we pray for, and uh, um, even helps us understand from a identity perspective who we are as Christians. So this book is, is quite, it's a bit, it's a bit big. It's about 500 pages uh, because I hit on a lot of the spiritual gifts mm. that I wasn't taught about growing up. So prophecy, what exactly is that? Let's dive deeper. Um, demons, how do we cast them out? You know, when we had a demon manifest at our church once and we had to spend a few weeks casting it out, it would have been helpful to, to know a bit more ahead of time. So <laughs> writing a book kind of explaining uh, what I've learned and what, those around me have learned it. it helps kind of prepare us as we enter into uh, uh, kind of spiritual warfare, but also working with the Holy Spirit. So uh, for that reason, it's a pretty big book because I have a lot to say, and it's a class sure. that I've been teaching at my church now for seven years since it started. Wow, okay. Wow, so I what I, in looking at some of your stuff and um, some of the other books and things, and even, you know, on Amazon, you get to see a couple of the first pages, so I was looking through some of those, and Seeing some of the things where you talk, you talk about um, it's to me from what I and you can tell me specifically because this was just me gathering things, but it sounded like um, you're a pretty logical person in terms of you you have done um, some writings on science and you've done some um, 
it sounds as if does that interest you a lot like science and st those kinds of studies as well yeah i uh i didn't have much interest in science for a long time until i was watching uh neil degrasse tyson's cosmos tv show okay um you know and you know neil's not a christian or sure. a believer or anything like that but uh uh as i'm watching the show as a believer i'm I'm looking at how big the whole cosmos is, and I'm just finding yeah. myself in awe of how smart God is. When they zoom in on a quantum level, showing how things work uh, quantumly, and I'm just like blown away again. And so, like, I realize as I'm watching the show on science, which I've never cared about really before this moment, suddenly I'm just like worshiping God because I'm just in awe of His, <laughs> how smart He is, how how much wonders he has in a, a scientific world. So uh, yeah, I did write uh, a book on uh, science as well, um, which affirms science on a level that many Christians are uncomfortable with, just in the same way that a book on the supernatural uh, affirms uh, the supernatural perspectives of the Bible on a level that many Christians are uncomfortable with. I don't think that, like, one's true and the other's not. For me, like, mm -hmm. they're, they're, both, they're both here. They're both existent, and I... My book on science was kind of an apologetic to uh, those who have been hurt by the church for not giving more thought or more credit to all the theories that come out and and whatnot. Uh, in fact, I I got to my wife got me tickets to go see Neil deGrasse Tyson in Detroit, and a lot of that book I think was maybe inspired by that because I go to this basically sold out event thousands of people in this auditorium just to watch a guy give a science lecture <laughs> and I realized so many of the people around me like I, I felt like I was in church it wasn't like you know it wasn't a Christian church but I could tell people were searching for meaning for some kind of like spiritual reason why they're here even their uh, curiosity about aliens was like this please tell me I'm not alone and I realized in that moment you know they're searching for God under a guise of something else. Right. And so that book kind of became an apologetic and hopefully an evangelistic outreach tool um, to, to just kind of say, look, it's not just one or the other. Both are true. Uh, we believe that Jesus was fully God, which is as supernatural as you could be, and that he was fully man, which is as scientific as you can be. He was made of molecules in a, in a body. <laughs> Uh, as as Jesus, who had to sleep like his body scientifically made him, and eat like his body scientifically made him, was born and died. It's, there's a lot of science there, but at the same time, he's God, and he's baptized in the Holy Spirit, and he does supernatural things through that power. So, yeah. So yeah, I, I've got a book on both sides, kind of going both ways. Yeah, I guess um, some of the stuff that you're saying is definitely uh, true of me as well. I I the same way, you know, never really cared too much about science. It was nothing that I was great in in, in school or anything. Um, but even more and more as I, you know, not necessarily understand all of it, but I read things that are just really interesting. Um, and in in recent time, kind of meshing as we've been, these two ideas together and, and the book that you wrote and stuff of what I find personally and from many people is just this ongoing struggle with knowing you know okay when you see a miracle happen when you see something that that many people um, who are prone to believe 
you know, greatly in miracles, they would say, oh, this was a miracle. This person had back pain, for example, and they were, they were healed of this back pain. They don't have it anymore. When we see those things, for me and for many other people that I've spoken to, it, it, it's hard because you go, well, how much of that is scientific and how do you know the difference between a, you know, a miracle, God came, stepped in and did it all, uh, versus, okay, there's some science behind this. There's something, you know, to be said about how our world naturally works. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, um, and I think this is where, like, a spiritual gift of discernment is very helpful in figuring things out. Because sure. there's a lot of different ways that things go, even from a psychological perspective. You know, we've learned you can get healed psychosomatically. So yeah. I give you a... Uh, a pill and tell you this pill is going to make you better and it does and then i revealed to you actually that was just sugar i gave you and we realized like oh hey look what the brain was able to do um and some people take that so far to try to implement that into jesus's ministry oh he was just telling them you know by your faith you're healed and therefore they psychosomatically were healing themselves and that's uh that's not what the bible is communicating Mm -hmm. it becomes clear like it's it's their faith in Jesus uh, being the object of their faith that's healing them. Um, so there, it takes it takes some time to find out, and that's why I, when I'm praying for healing over people, I do my best to to coach them along the way. I usually start like, okay, how much pain are you in right now on a scale of 1 to 10? They might say a 7. I'll pray for them and be like, okay, have we come down at all? And I need you to be honest with me because I know you want to tell me yes. Tell me no if it hasn't. And if it's going up, if you're in more pain, let's stop praying because I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll just uh, pray, and if it comes down, that's great. Uh, but uh, if it doesn't, then we will continue praying. Um, but here's the thing that I've learned with like healing miracles. It doesn't matter how extravagant the healing is. People sure. just often... Uh, forget and as time goes by they water it down as something else we had a a girl at Spring Arbor University who came up front and uh, the chaplain said that she had cancer the whole school laid arms on each other like a thousand people (laughs) and we prayed for her and uh, uh, she went to get her test done and she came back and it was affirmed she did have cancer so the chaplain made us all come up and pray again we prayed again she returned at the next chapel, and the cancer was gone. And, like, the mm. whole school just, like, erupted. It was a beautiful morning of praise. People were really infused because yeah, <laughs> uh, we had just seen cancer healed. Yeah. Um, but from that moment on, like, chapel ended, and it's as though everyone forgot. And I bet if a lot of people look back at that today, they would just be like, oh, is that really what happened? So right. time has a way of decrediting miracles if we don't constantly keep what God's doing in front of us as well. Yeah, that's 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 great, and and that goes back to that cancer story. Goes back to kind of Jesus. You could look at some of the things Jesus that say, okay, you know, try to argue about the the mind, the power of the mind. But then there's some things that you say, well, okay, Lazarus, that's not the power of the mind. He comes back from the dead, <laughs> or these diseases. Nor, nor was it faith. It's not like a dead guy had a lot of faith. There. Right, right, right. Exactly. So it's it, and I think what you said is so true too about time passing. Over every time passing, people go, oh yeah, well yeah, I remember that, but 
you know, did that really happen? Or well, that was a long time ago. And since then, you know, I had someone die of cancer. So what does that mean? You know, they start to introduce these questions into the process and it downplays in their mind what happened then. Um, I think for me recently, I don't know how much uh, Netflix, you watch any Netflix? Uh, yep. Okay. So some, some people, some people, oh, I don't have time. Some people do. I, I recently saw this thing um, by this atheist named Darren Brown. I'm not sure if you're, if you're familiar with him at all, but he, he has this special on Netflix right now called Miracle and it was filmed in the UK. And he's doing kind of what we talked about. It's the psychosomatic. Everybody who, there, who's, who's there in, in attendance knows he's an atheist. I mean, they, they've, they know this. Um, he's not secretive about that. Um, but he tells people from the stage with, you know, exciting music and powerful songs and stuff. He tells people, okay, you are healed. And then he has like 20 people come on the stage who had these intense, you know, chronic back pains for years. And, and it's gone. Um, and he doesn't say, you know, it, what he explains is he says it's the power of the mind. That's how it's happening. You believe that something's ha going to happen because a famous celebrity tells you it's going to happen. And it's not going to work for everybody. But he says for some people it happens. So that's, that got me like, okay, this is, this is crazy. You know, this is an atheist guy doing this. So I started, similar to the things that you're talking about, I started to study. And um, most people, or I guess I should say not most people, but many people growing up when I was younger would just say, well, that's demons. You know, anything that is like that from, you know, that isn't God. So obviously this guy's an atheist, so that's not God. It's demons doing the, the healings. Um, but I think there is another third option in some cases, um, which comes back to this science idea, um, that even, I think, returns to God, even in the case of um of uh, this idea of our minds where um, we live in really two different realities, the spiritual reality that is right beyond what we can see and the physical reality. And when we believe in just the physical reality, when we believe in the pain and the things that are affecting our bodies, um, it's not really us. I mean, the real us is going to continue to live even have either heaven or hell or um, after this life. Um, but the us right now, these bodies are essentially just costumes. They're just, uh, you know, something to, that, that is, is the here and now. Um, and so I think that there's something to that idea that, that God has placed within us too of our minds and that can be scientifically proven of saying, hey, when you believe in something bigger than yourself, bigger than this physicality, um, when you actually believe in that, there's something even provable about, um, you know, you, you, the pain leaving, you know, the pain going away. And I, I think that even though it's provable, can be even traced back to God, maybe. And these are just thoughts that I've been having, um, too. I, I guess I don't have the final say on any of that, of course. I mean, you wrote 500 pages, so maybe you do. <laughs> but, um, but it's just interesting to me. I think, I think again, that... Um, those two different areas of saying, well, it's either God or it's or it's the devil, and I think there is some stuff too there in the middle that is still God and yet very scientific and very provable as well that we can look at and just be amazed by. Yeah, I mean, we're made of science. It, it is what it is. There's spiritual, there's science, uh, and uh, there's no reason to like pretend. You know, a lot of people treat science like it's evil, as though like God didn't make it, which heresy <laughs> what something else made it so uh, yeah like you said there's three three different sources typically of, and that's why discernment's helpful is it sure. god who's doing the healing is it uh your 
scientific fleshly body doing the healing i mean you fall and scrape yourself your body heals itself it's that's sure. just part of the way of life or is it uh demonic jesus was seemed pretty uh intent on telling us look people are going to come after me with powers and try to convince you that they're me so don't fall for it so mm-hmm. uh testing the sources trying to figure out what it is you're dealing with is always helpful to to understand but mm-hmm. unfortunately you know a lot of people see the validity behind the scientific side of things and therefore supernatural just gets tossed out the window right western worldview just always always does that so. yeah and that goes back to what we were saying before of just uh, whether it's the time or it's just trying to add it all up in your mind oh this is the explanation um but yeah just being open to i think i think what you said when you first started talking about your book of of you know being going back to okay well what does not just i mean experience that's that's great to be able to have a story and to say hey this happened to me or you know someone i know that's that's important but at the end of the day you know what does the bible say because if your experience is something totally different than what the bible actually says then that's probably a problem so um yeah. we don't and uh i'm thinking of one story that kind of affirms to what you're trying to say of blending these uh, it's been so long since i read it I, I can't remember the fine details maybe you remember it better but some prophets make a soup and realize like the soup is poisoned Mm. and so they ask god what to do and he tells them to add another herb to it and it fixes it so like oh yeah yeah if i'm remembering that story right and you might want to you might want to find it first and read it but like was that science or was that supernatural or was it both you know god supernaturally told them what to do and they scientifically neutralize the poison right <laughs> whatever the case may be that just seems like a, a strange story right there blending both together that's yeah, that's a great that's a great uh thing and i'll have to i don't know where that's located either but i'm gonna i'll do the research and then for those who want to read the story i'll put the uh the um the verse and the, the chapter verse book and everything in the um in the show notes so we can we can look it up <laughs> um <laughs> Well, that's awesome, and and so yeah, you've got a lot of things going on. You've written. I don't know how you had the time to write these three books while you're doing all this other stuff, but that's awesome. Um, but uh, keep up all the good work there in Michigan, and um, and if you if you do have some other exciting things that that happen, be sure to let me know, and I'm going to share it with with everybody who's listening. Yep, that would be great. Awesome. Well, we'll hope to talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Josh. You have a good one. Everything wonderful, I'm gonna make it where you are. And tell me how far until the day that I see your face, and how long until that time? Cause I So there's more than just me that's safe Cause those pearly gates